Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good to see you. Uh, it's good to be back in the routine of school, right? No, some of you are, have not started yet. UMKC, I thought had classes left. No, that was just Rockhurst then. Mm. Well, um, it's good to see everyone. I'm glad you're here. Um, I do want to briefly mention that, uh, that the welcome party is, is a big deal, and we want to see as many people participate in that as possible uh, regardless of whether or not FOI is, is the ministry that you are um, serving in as your primary ministry, uh, you know, we want everyone from Kaya to be involved in that ministry as, as much as possible, uh, mainly because it, it holds such great value. Uh, it's, it's a part of the DNA of this ministry, and from time to time, all of us should be responsible for reaching our campuses uh, through, through Friends of International, and, and, and so... I want to uh, invite everybody to reach out to Jessica this week and, and express uh, that you have the ability to, to help in some way, uh, great or small. Is that cool? Uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13, but I'm going to start with in the beginning, if you don't mind. Um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, right? Familiar with that? <clears throat> And I want to make it really clear to you that there is one God. There's just one true God. There are many gods on this earth, lowercase g's, but there's one true God. And he ex- he's existed eternally. And at one point in his sovereign mind, he decided that he was going to create the earth. And he, and he spent six days creating. And each day he... he he, he made something new, and he said, wow, that, that, that's good. That's good. But on the sixth day, he made men. He made Adam. And he made Adam with the intent that, that he would have a creation that would choose to worship him. It would choose. That would have a free will that could determine from day to day whether or not they would commit their lives to God. Now, God was also very good to Adam. He made Eve to be a companion. And so Adam and Eve dwelt together as friends in the garden, walking in the cool of the day with God himself, Jesus Christ. And they walked together, and there was a friendship, and there was a bond. And there was only one command. There was only one law. There was only one rule. And the rule was, do not eat of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one command that they had. And over time, as people often do, uh, we grow restless, don't we? And Eve was susceptible to a lie, a lie told by Satan himself. And the lie was spun, and the, and the, the, the lie was cunning, and the timing was right. And Eve was convinced that she should take of the tree, and so she did. And Adam willingly walked into that sin with her. And they fell, and they took on a sin nature. 
And it's, it was built into them. From that moment on, every bit of offspring that they would ever create would be, it'd be built into their genetic code that they would sin and they would perpetrate against the living God. And for millennia, for thousands of years, God pursued man. He fought on their behalf. He performed miracles before them. He called to them in love. And yet they continually found themselves in the same place they were in the garden, in sin. Entrenched, and not just in sin, but belligerent, in opposition to him. And, and millennia after millennia passes, generation after generation, and finally God says no more. And so he sent himself. He sent his son. He sent Jesus Christ into the world to retrieve us, to make himself known, to live that perfect life to love, to adore us, to be the example of what we should have been all along. And then willingly give his life so that those of us who know our sin would have a way to him. And so for, for all of the wretched and all of the miserable, all of the liars and all of the depressed, all of the frustrated, all the disappointed people of the world might have hope. And if we simply repent of our sin, acknowledge it for what it is, is death, and call upon his name, he would save us. He would save us. He would deliver us. And he would invite us into eternity with him. And he raised up some disciples, you know, while he was here on earth. And he taught them his way. He taught them his way. And those men committed themselves after his resurrection to teaching his way and to going into all the world and sharing the truth of the gospel. And today, that tradition has been handed to us. And that is who we are. If we call ourselves Christian, that means that we're followers of Jesus Christ. And we've been invited into the mission. And that leads us to Acts chapter 13. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you be with us this morning. We are so grateful for who you are. We are so thankful for the message of Jesus Christ. We are honored that, Lord, you've not only saved us, you've not only blessed us, you've not only been merciful to us, but, Lord, in grace, you've called us to do the work that you always wanted your people to do. And now we have the light and we have the tools to do it. And what a blessing it is to be called your church. Lord, help us to devote our lives 
regardless of the suffering, and regardless of the pain, and re regardless of what other people might say, regardless of the lies, and regardless of Satan's cunning devices. Lord, in our imperfection, would you use us to reach the world, that they might know the one true God. We need your help. We need your purpose. We need your love. We need, we need your way. And we ask that you'd hear, we would be able to hear from you today, Lord, that you'd speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 13. Now, so far in Acts, we've been basically telling the story of those early apostles, those early disciples going into the world and teaching the gospel. That's what we've been confronted with all along. And, and I do recommend, there's a lot of people who've come into Kaya over the last few months, and, and this series is new to you. We've been at it a while. And so I, I would invite you to go back and listen to the other messages so that you can get caught up, so you can be on the same page with us both doctrinally and in terms of the narrative. But at this point, uh, we've, we've talked about the Antioch Church. The Antioch Church was a model church, and they're the first church to officially send out ordained missionaries into the world that they might intentionally preach the gospel into foreign nations and to take it beyond those Jewish people and those early believers and take it into places that have not heard the gospel yet. And among the leaders in the Antioch church, God separated two men specifically, Barnabas and Paul. And those men uh, were ordained as missionaries, and they went out and they took with them this guy named John Mark. Now, John Mark was Barnabas's nephew. And, uh, and, and the little that we know about John Mark he was really just with them as an apprentice. He hadn't been ordained, and, and he, hadn't, he hadn't come up in the leadership ranks the way that Paul and Barnabas had. John Mark was likely a very young man, and he was Barnabas' nephew. And so it was an opportunity uh, to, to train him and to build him up, to make him a missionary as well. And so he joined himself to Paul and Barnabas, and they went out. And last time we were together, we talked about that very first mission to Cyprus and how they went and they started preaching. And while they were there, they encountered this sorcerer, uh, this man named Elamas. And, uh, and this guy came up against them. We talked about that. We talked about all the ways that he was built to deceive. We talked about the, the cunning devices of Satan and how we can see, even in our ministry and even in our mission agenda, we can see Satan be used the exact same way Elamas was. Right? We talked about that. We won't rehash that. So they go, they preach. It was received, right? Uh, Sergius Paulus becomes a believer, and from that point they continue on. All right? In liberty in Christ they decide to go to, uh, to uh, per Perga to continue their mission. Now, today we're going to talk about what it means, actually the next two weeks, we're going to talk about rejection in ministry. Um, this week, we're going to talk about it specifically in terms of when people in ministry with us, people who've knit themselves to us, people that we thought stood with us, betray us and the work. We're going to talk about that. That's kind of a hard topic. But you know what? I already set the, the tone for that today anyway. It's fairly sober in here this morning, so... Why not? Let's talk about betrayal. Um, but next week we're going to talk about in the midst of the mission, when you're preaching the gospel, what it, what it looks like to, ex to accept and expect to be rejected by those you give the gospel to. That's what we're going to talk about 
next week. But this week we're going to talk about what it's like when you're rejected by the people who you thought stood with you. And that's tough. And a lot of us have faced that and a lot of us have seen that before. So we've got our traveling companions, Paul and Barnabas and Mark. And they're traveling, you can see on the map. Go ahead, I think the next slide is the map. So we've seen them come through Cyprus already. And now they've traveled across the Mediterranean to Perga, which is in Pamphylia. Okay, they've reached the shoreline there. But when they reach the shore of Perga, John Mark decides to head home. Now in this part of the story, we're not given a whole lot of information. We're just given one verse pertaining what happens here. But we can know from Acts chapter 15 that there was some kind of contention, that there was some sort of fault in Mark, so much so that later on when Barnabas wants Mark to rejoin them, Paul is opposed to the idea. And we'll revisit that later. But the point is that we know that there's a point of contention here and that Mark leaves for some reason. Let's look at verse 13 of Acts chapter 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And so Mark, he leaves and he goes back to Jerusalem, which is his home, right? That's where his mother, mother lives. We could see that earlier on in Acts. Uh, Peter goes to uh, Mark's mother's house uh, after he gets out of, out of prison. And so it's a place where uh, believers were gathering and doing church together. And so he goes back home. Now, the question becomes, why? Why does he go? Why, after committing himself to being a disciple of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, would he ever want to give that up? I mean, think about that for a second. If the Apostle Paul invited you to go on a missions trip with him, right, and to spend a year with him doing missions, I think for most of us, we would recognize that would be an exciting prospect. I mean, honestly, if Mark Trotter asked me to go on a missions trip, I'd be excited about that. You know, that's an, ex- that's an exciting thing because there would be things that you can learn from older and wiser people. But we're talking about the Apostle Paul here, okay? And so when you're, when you're thinking about that, it seems crazy that someone would want to, to walk away from that opportunity. It seems almost absurd. I can't imagine what it would take for me to throw that away. But something was bothering Mark. Something caused him to turn back. And after reading about Mark in Scripture, we don't actually know for sure, based on the story, what actually happened. But I think we can make some educated guesses. All right? You prepared to do that this morning? Well, we can make some basic inferences from the story this morning. And I think the first thing that we need to talk about is spiritual warfare. And what Mark had witnessed in Paphos with Elamas could have been enough to spook him. Oh, there's no water under here. Here, homie, hook me up. Why not? So just to remind you what happened, when they confronted Elamas, um, this guy's a sorcerer, okay? He's talking trash. Paul calls, calls on God and, and blinds the man, okay? Wild story, okay? Enough to, that would trip me out, okay? And so we could, we could infer here that after that experience, 
that Mark would have been a little bit stirred up and perhaps even afraid of what was ahead of him. When he saw the warfare in play, it could have seriously rattled his cage to the point where he felt at risk. Now this is like, think about it this way. When I was, when I was young, uh, I remember um, like playing on sports teams and, and you'd practice for weeks, right? And you'd practice, you'd be running plays, you'd be running drills, right? you'd be getting in shape and condition, and then the first game came. And that was a whole different thing, right? Once you actually start, Eric, don't nod at me like you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this dude's like, yeah, I know that experience. Very familiar with competition, the athletics. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say much, because Eric now knows Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> He's been studying the art of w physical warfare. I don't, have you guys, I grew up in the 90s, and so I, like, the movie Mighty Ducks was like one of my favorite movies as a kid. I, occasionally I'll make reference to the Mighty Ducks. And I don't know if you remember, the Mighty Ducks were really, they were like, they were trash, right? The team was trash, and they practiced really hard, okay? And then they started getting good, and they played these teams, and they won, and then they get to the championship, and they face the Hawks. And the Hawks are cheaters, they're bigger, they're stronger, and they're suddenly intimidated by the prospect of playing them. I mean, they get in their own head, and they're almost, in their minds, they're destined to lose. And we can do this in the midst of spiritual warfare as well. We can be that type of people where, where we've, been, we've done the training. We did discipleship. We're in D2. We're in LFBI. We're in a Bible study. And we're saying, I'm about the mission. I'm about doing the work. But then when we get in a position where Satan confronts us, then people do have a tendency to back away. People do have a tendency to retreat. And some of you are in the midst of that right now, and some of us have witnessed it with our friends, the ones that aren't with us even this morning. We've watched people retreat. When Satan had some sort of plan, some sort of deception, some sort of evil, some sort of lie that he presented them with, they had no choice in their flesh but to accept that and to walk away. And so Mark could have easily been stirred up. He could have been afraid. Now listen to me. We all know conceptually that to follow the Lord with our lives means that we will face spiritual warfare. We know that conceptually. There will be an attack on our ministries that is unexplainable in our flesh. We'll have no way of explaining it except Satan's at work. And it can only be attributed to his cunning devices, only. But listen to me. Here's a warning. It's one thing to acknowledge that there is spiritual warfare, and it's a whole other thing to face it, accept it, and engage it. It's a whole other thing. It's one thing not to bow your head to false idols. But it's a whole other thing to step into the fiery furnace. You guys know that story? 
It's one thing to say, I am not, in my religious piety, going to bow to the idols. But it's a whole other thing to say, whatever consequence might befall me, I step willingly into danger because I am unafraid because my Lord is with me. It's one thing to not eat the king's meat. It's another thing to willingly step into the, to the den of lions. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. It's one thing to pray in the quiet of your home with the windows open. It's a whole other thing to say that the consequence of that will be attack. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now we looked last week at the many forms that the enemy takes to derail God's work. We saw that, right? We saw that. We, we, we walked through that together. But many people do not respond to such trial the same way Paul did in that story. Remember Paul, how he faced it down? He faced the enemy down. He was filled with, filled with the Holy Ghost and he faced the enemy down. He wasn't afraid. Likewise in ministry, when people face trials that seem bigger than themselves, many turn back, like Mark. People that we love and who love us. People who walked with us as friends and as ministers. People who vowed their devotion to the work. We have and we will witness, brothers and sisters, walk away. Step away. And even out of working for the Lord because of deception. Because of enemies. Because of the advance of Satan. Now, I, I, I would invite you, even right now, to think for a moment about the friends that we've lost along the way because of that kind of warfare, because of lies, because of deceptions, because of fear. And then I also want you to think about the times in which you've faced those same troubles this last year. Some of you have faced very similar trials. Some of you have faced really dark moments in your life. And the reason that you're here this morning is you decided to press on regardless of those fears and deceptions and those devices. We have to be aware. We have to acknowledge the fact that Satan will attack. And when he does, we must be prepared. And we also, listen to me, brothers and sisters, we have to be prepared to lose people along the way. And I say that as a warning and I say that because we have to be ready for it. Because if not, if not, your emotions will derail you as well. Or perhaps it was the physical burden that Mark faced. Another reason that Mark may have left the team could have been because it was physically difficult. The travel itself would have been taxing. They're walking by foot all the way across Cyprus. They're traveling by boat, traversing the Mediterranean Sea, right? And I, like, when I think about boats, I think about what boats look like today, right? I've never taken a cruise. I sure would like to, though. Those cruise liners look nice. They look nice. And anytime you say all-inclusive, I'm down with that. <laughs> what, you have a problem with cruises? Don't ruin it for me. They're like, they're like the cheapest form of vacation 
in America. Like, you know John Kindler's dad is like a professional cruise buyer? Like he, like he shops around all year long and purchases cruises at like exception, exceptionally low rates. And they do like four cruises a year. His, he and his wife go on cruises constantly. But he's getting like $1,500 cruises for like 350 bucks. It's like his hobby. <laughs> That's old man stuff right there. <laughs> I mean, who has time for that, right? Like, but, uh, but, you know, these, these, these boat rides, right, that, that's not, I mean, we're talking about not the same thing, right? This is like prior to the, way prior to the Renaissance. Like, they had not figured out sailing yet. It was difficult, okay? And, and so we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Paul himself was in three shipwrecks, and there's some people that would suggest that one of those shipwrecks might have even occurred from traveling from Cyprus to Perga. They may have experienced one of those shipwrecks here. And in light of that, Mark got to the shore and he's like, heck no. <laughs> heck no. I'm out. Peace. Headed home to mom. Meatloaf, mom. <laughs> right? That's like, I, I can honestly say that a shipwreck sounds awful, sounds hideous. And so the physical and emotional trauma may have, may have been the last straw for Mark, leading to his withdrawal. Either way, we have to acknowledge that in order to be a part of Paul and Barnabas' team, it was necessary for Mark to accept the reality of the demands, surrendering his health, his wellness, and leisure to achieve what was necessary to see the gospel spread. You would think that he would have counted that cost in advance. Traveling is going to be hard. I recognize that in advance. And with that in mind, I will still go with Paul and Barnabas. But he wasn't fully ready. He wasn't fully ready. Who could really fully be ready for that? Man, we all have to count the cost. We have to count the cost of living the Great Commission. We have to do that because if we don't, we'll find ourselves in a situation where we're surprised by our circumstances and we will be tempted to retreat. So what I'm asking you to do as a believer in Jesus Christ, that when you meditate on the things of Christ, that you continue to count the cost of the spiritual warfare but also the, the physical pain that you might endure along the way. Now, you might not be shipwrecked, I would hope. But I would bet that many of you are going to face moments when, you, when your schedule is, is taxed beyond belief, where you're weary, where you're tired, where physical things are coming up against you. Your car breaks down again. Your bank account is low, right? Right? Someone treated you poorly. You're hurt. You're exhausted. And you've still got to stand. You can't retreat. We can't afford that. Listen, listen to this. Listen to, let's listen to Paul's words. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. This was Paul's mind. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. In other words, 
Five times, he was whipped 39 times. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I, I would bet that no one has experienced that. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without. In other words, those things that are external, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak, who is offended, and I burn not, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine Infirmities. Likewise in ministry, when people we serve with see the demand on their physical lives, when people see what they have to give up, some will turn back. Some will turn back. People that we love and loved us. People who walk with us as friends and as ministers people who vowed their devotion to the work, we will witness these types of brothers and sisters walk away from the work and leave us standing dumbfounded. Why? Because it's freaking hard. It's hard, and we're imperfect, and we're weak. Every one of us, we're weak. We can't do it. In our flesh, we falter. In our flesh we fail, but we don't quit. We don't quit. Another serious hurdle was his lack of experience. His youth and immaturity was a hurdle for him. He hadn't proven himself in ministry, right? Not like Paul and Barnabas had. And this is such a big deal when we're talking about ministry responsibility, isn't it? It's important that one be mature to the appropriate level before receiving new responsibility. And this is why at Midtown Baptist Temple, we take promotion very, very seriously. In about two weeks from now, I believe, um, I forget what today is. It might even actually be next week. We are going to acknowledge deacons in our church. Okay, and we're gonna, we are going to uh, institute people into the office of, uh, of deacon. And that's a serious role in the church. And we take that serious. And the pastors review and review and review the names that have been submitted, the nominations, and we consider their character. And we consider how they've proven themselves in ministry. Why? Because we can't afford to have immature people in mature roles. We can't afford to do that. That's why year after year there was conversations about whether or not to ordain Andrew. And it wasn't until now that we decided to do it. Same thing with me. 
When I was ordained, they had, they had been talking about it for several years before it ever even happened. Why? They wanted to see the proving. Because we can't afford to have immature believers in mature roles. Listen to this. Proverbs 3.35 says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. It's shame to promote foolish people. When considering the office of bishop or deacon or the responsibility associated with the position of a teaching elder, there's going to be a handful of men in this ministry who are acknowledged next week as teaching elders, men who are going to be certified to marry, bury, and baptize. That way, some of y'all who are getting married, you don't have to have me do your wedding. (laughs) You can have Miles do it, right? That'll be cute, won't it? I'll be such a proud dad the day that happens. But the point is is that, that that people don't come into those roles and those positions of leadership lightly. It's not flippant. We can't afford to be flippant. Many churches grow desperate. You know that? Most churches are desperate for leaders. And so what they do is they prematurely ordain men. They prematurely put men in offices or in positions that they're not ready for, that they're inexperienced for. I've heard stories year after year. I hear stories constantly about churches where the leaders have serious failures because they were unprepared for the work that was put before them. And honestly, it's why our world is so full of of despise for the church. Hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Well, no, the truth is that a lot of that could be fixed if people would stop putting people of weakness in positions of authority. A lot of that hypocrisy, you know, church is a place for weak people to be, where failures should be, where hypocrites should be. But hypocrites get trained, and they grow, and they learn. All of us are growing and learning. All of us have those weaknesses. It's not to be despised, but there is a level of responsibility that comes with some of these offices and positions, and Mark could have just not been ready for them. As a ministry, we, we need God to prove out all of the promoting that's going on. Psalm 75.5 says, Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But I, I, guys, if you know the Bible, it's so awesome. It's so awesome that it says neither from the east, nor the west, nor the south. Notice it, it doesn't say from, from the north. You know what comes from the north? What's in the north? What's in the north, Eric? Heaven is in the north. Heaven's in the north. No, God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. As it concerns our development, this is an important key point. Key point number one. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Key point number one. We want God's proving and God's promotion. Less pride. Very simple, very simple key point. Pride is so dangerous. So dangerous. We need God to prove that out of us, to work it out, to teach us, to develop us, that we might be promoted in His timing, in His timing. Mark lacks surrender, faith, and true resolve. There's a lot that we don't know about why he walked away, but we know that there was likely a faith issue 
There was likely a character issue. There was likely a surrender issue. We, we, we probably know that much from the, from the storyline. I mean, his failures were so divisive that it would eventually break up Paul and Barnabas' dream team. I mean, come on. I mean, if you read the exploits of Paul and Barnabas, these dudes were studs, man. This is Scottie Pippen and Jordan <laughs> right here, right? They were awesome together. They were awesome. And this one issue would actually cause them to be like, nah, I got to get traded, bro. Got to break up the team. Kyrie Irving it. <laughs> um, and we can read about that in Acts 15. We'll cover that when we get there. But, but Mark straight up bailed, right? And ultimately because he lacked the endurance necessary for the work. Paul teaches us later in his letter to Timothy and to Colossae the significance of withstanding in the face of suffering and difficulty. So let's look at a few of those passages. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Okay, so don't be ashamed of me. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and quite literally a prisoner in a prison, right? But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Be a partaker of the afflictions. Own them. Take them. Partake of them. 2 Timothy 4, 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Those things all go together, by the way. Affliction, evangelism, and proving out your ministry. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Those are the results of charity in our lives. What was lacking in Mark is what's lacking in many of us. Faith in light of God's word. That's the issue. Faith in light of God's word. Spiritual toughness is born in God's word. That's where, that's where it's born, in God's word. Not toughness in the flesh, but toughness in the power of the resurrection and the promises of God's eternal heaven. That's where toughness is born. Listen to how William Carey, I'm going I'm to make a point to quote throughout the remainder of Acts, lots of missionaries. But uh, listen to what William Carey says about the reliance on God's word to get him through the tough times. He, now, William Carey was a missionary to India, all right, probably the greatest evangelist that India has ever seen. He says, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But among so many obstacles... It would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God and His word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they, stronger than they are and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse. Though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith fixed on the sure word would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial, God's cause will triumph. Man, how do you get there? According to William Carey, you get there by leaning into the promises of God's word. How are you, how are you expected to be mature beyond your age? If you don't go to the book of wisdom, if you're not living there, if you're not dwelling there, if you don't find your peace in that place, if you grow restless in reading, 
You're not a fourth grader. Fourth graders hate reading. You are grown folk. And God wrote you a book. Read it. Learn hard words. Learn to compare Scripture with Scripture and mature yourself at His feet. Key point. We must be faithful disciples. We must be faithful disciples of Christ in order to become fearless missionaries of Christ. There's no fearless missionary if there's not first a faithful disciple. How are you going to follow... How are you going to follow the path of the Lord wherever it may lead? If you can't walk with him now. If you can't take up his side. If his word is not a lamp unto your feet now, how do you expect to imagine yourself in a position where you're doing great exploits for the Lord? That's an obnoxious thought. It's premature thinking. Learn to love the the Lord. Be at His feet. We must learn to be dependent in following God before we can be led into the wilderness of faith. You know, this wasn't the last time for Paul that he would be betrayed this way. In Colossians 4.14, he talks about a man named Demas who had previously been a faithful disciple, at least they thought. Demas forsook Paul and the work. Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. In other words, Once upon a time, Paul was friends with Demas. He was a man that was with him in the ministry. But look at what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Demas betrayed him. Paul... Paul understood that it was a reality of ministry. And people are going to forsake us. Let me warn you of the potential of this failure. It's not not a matter of if this is going to happen. It's a matter of when this is going to happen in your ministry. In light of that knowledge, we ought not fear, though. We should be prayerful. We should be encouraged. We should be sharpened. We should be wise. We need to be careful about who we promote and how we disciple people. Listen, key point. If we train leaders in our flesh, then we're going to be blind to their weaknesses. Think about that for a second. If we train people in our flesh, then we're going to be blind to their weaknesses. If discipleship is more about your friendship with that person and less about training, you're going to grow blind. You're not going to see their weaknesses. You have to be able to understand the weaknesses of the people around you. Not to be frustrated or disappointed. It's just a reality. I have weaknesses. Eric, Andrew, you know I have weaknesses, right? You see them, right? Yeah. Eric knows. He is, he is amening back there. It's a reality, and we ought to know one another's weaknesses, especially in terms of the people that we're training and investing in, so we can help them, so we can, that we can actually be a help, not blind to them, not blind to their immaturity. With that said, the failure in Mark's life actually appears to have been ultimately good for him. 
It purged things out. He had to reconsider. He had to go back to the drawing board. In that same passage where Demas was put on blast in 2 Timothy 4.9, in the same breath, Paul says, Only Luke is with me. And take Mark and bring him with, with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. There was redemption. Mark figured it out. And Paul and him reconciled. It's beautiful. So beautiful. You know, this ought to be our prayer and our hope for all those who've strayed. That God would draw them back. And that they'd be better for the, the trial that they faced. We want them to return so they might be profitable for the kingdom of God. At some point, every minister of God faces some form of rejection. Can we all just agree to that now, that we acknowledge that, that, that at some point, all of us are going to face rejection in the ministry? People we've poured our lives into are going to betray us. And if you follow Christ long enough, that will be the experience. So the question becomes, how will you prepare your heart? Will you grow cynical towards your friends and disciples? God forbid. Key point. Betrayal. In, min in ministry or in, in life. Just in life. There's betrayal all around us. Listen to me. Betrayal should not drive us to guard our hearts in fear of men. But prepare our hearts in fear of God. Betrayal should not drive us to guard our hearts in fear of men. I don't want to be hurt, so you put up a wall. It's happened one too many times. I can't again. Some of you are predisposed to feeling hurt just because of the way your parents treated you growing up. You've, you were betrayed as a child. Your dad walked out. Your mom walked out. And that lack of stability in your life just makes you guarded by nature. Fix that in the Lord. Don't guard yourself because you have to be made vulnerable to properly do the work. Do you understand that? There's an at level of vulnerability and love. I mean, re read that chapter about charity that we touched on for a second. There's a lot of vulnerability that comes with a charitable life. There's a lot you have to give up. And in order to do that, you can't afford to be guarded towards people as a respecter of persons. But in the knowledge that people fall, you should prepare your own heart. A, because you know you're going to experience people betraying you, but B, let me tell you this. Do you know that in the heart of every person is a spirit of Judas? You still carry flesh. You're not above being sifted. You're not above falling. You're not above making mistakes. You're not above putting the ministry in jeopardy. You're not above that. Just because you've been discipled doesn't mean you're good or you're righteous. Just because you've grown a little does not mean you've got it figured out. You're just as weak as you've ever been. So in light of that, we ought not fear men. We ought to fear God and prepare ourselves in light of who he is. 
We ought to expect betrayal in ministry, but it should not suspend or hinder our walk with Christ. We have to be ready to give those we love to the Lord. God, I can't. I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. They are yours. And my prayer is that you would deliver them from whatever it is. The spirit, whatever it is. I can't even define it. Spiritual warfare, physical burden, immaturity. I can't even define it, Lord. It's not my job to do that, God. You take it. You take this person. You work in their lives. And please bring them back to me that we might be profitable together. Bring them back, please, God. The failures of people around us ought to drive us to a greater dependence on God and a sober mind as it concerns our own immaturity, that we might find Christ before we find our own escape. You're not above escaping. The great evangelist George Mueller spoke of preparing his heart against great difficulty. Here's another quote. You ready for another quote? These are always fun quotes. George Mueller. Listen, he says, I seek at the beginning. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. I mean, that alone is just like, whoa, okay, wait, how do you do that? So listen, nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. William Carey and George Mueller had this in common with one another. They knew that it was their responsibility to take their heart and take their mind and continually put it before the Lord that he might control their lives, that his will would become their own. And they, had, they, they couldn't do anything. It says the first thing in the beginning. In the beginning of what? In the beginning, in the beginning of, of, of ministry. In the beginning of having a conversation with a person. In the beginning. At the start. Of anything that you do. In the beginning. You set your heart before the Lord that his will might become your own. And when you do that, you'll stand. You'll stand. When the tempter comes, you'll stand. When the winds come, you'll stand. When, difficult, when, when ministry is more than you can handle, you'll stand. When your immaturity and bad decisions find you out, you'll stand. You'll be all right. And we'll continue in the ministry together. And we will take Kansas City. And we will take Boston. And we will take Vietnam. And we will take every place that God sent us to go. We'll take it for his namesake. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And the authority of his word. Because that's who we were made to be. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And now, we stand conformed to his image, reunited with him, doing his will, and bearing the tradition of being a light to the world. If you know today that you've got weakness that you need to deal with, we're going to do that during this time of invitation. Alex, you can come up. 
We're going to do that during this time of invitation. If you know, listen, perhaps today, listen carefully. I know we've got some visitors with us today, and I don't, I don't know you, and I don't know where you've come from, and I don't know what you've heard, and I don't know what kind of religion that you've carried with you. I don't know what your tradition is. I don't know what your background is, but listen to me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ died for you the same way he died for me. And Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the one true God. And there is no other God in this world that will deliver you from your sin. Other gods, sure, they have solutions. They have band-aids. Band-aids to a good life. But not solutions for sin. Not, Not solutions that are eternal. And so if you know, you've, you, you need to know more about salvation through Jesus Christ. You need, to, you need to talk with the person that brought you today. And you need to work through that. I'm going to pray. If anybody has anything to deal with at all, let's deal with it. I love you. Let's be a ministry of humble people. Yeah? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And I'm grateful for your word. And I'm grateful for the testimony of Mark. And Lord, in all the ways that we are like Mark in his failure, God, I pray that you would make us like the Mark of his later life, profitable for the ministry. Lord, mature us in a way that would protect us. Paul and Barnabas could not have seen all the weaknesses of Mark. or They they maybe would have never invited him in the first place. They couldn't have foreseen those things. But God, I just pray that you would give us wisdom as it concerns ourselves, that we might, we might su- submit ourselves to the criticism of your word and the judgment of our own spirit, that we might protect our fellow laborers from our own, our own weaknesses and our own immaturity, Lord. Make us wise. Build us up. Strengthen us. Prove us for the work. And as, and as you lead us, Lord, we will say, not our will, but yours be done. Lord, use me. In every regard, make me a missionary for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.